you're listening to Art of the Flow. Welcome to Art of the Float, where float centers thrive. This is our weekly podcast that tells our stories of running our own float centers. We love giving tips on starting and running our float centers. As always, you can find us on Facebook at Art of the Float, on Twitter at Artful Floating, and even on uh, that Instagram thing at Artful Floating as well. We've got a lot, of, a lot of content showing up on there as well, thanks to Lance. And as always, you can leave a voicemail for the show. Um, it's called a speak pipe. And uh, it's a voicemail. If you go to artofthefloat.com, you can leave, leave, a, leave a message for us. Also, that's where you can find our show notes, links, pictures, anything we talk about. If you go to the episode page, you can find all that such and such right there. I am one of your hosts, Dylan Calm. I own the float shop in Portland, Oregon. And I am joined with Lance of the Float Shack in Red Deer, Canada. Yeah, hello, everyone. And, of course, Amy Grimes of Float Nashville. Hey, y'all. So this is part two of our big water maintenance episode. After we were done recording last time, we went, oh, wait a minute. There's a few few more things we need to cover. I, I don't know if it'll be as hefty of, as an, of an episode, but um, I think we'll cover some some really important finer points. And uh, to join us tonight will be Ashcon of uh, the Float Conference. So uh, that'll be fun and exciting to have him on the show, and hopefully we can hear a little bit about his RV adventure, too, because I know all three of us uh, have, have seen him recently, which is pretty fun. Oh, Amy, you didn't get to see him, did you? I did. You did. Okay. I you did. just didn't get to go out and have drinks. Oh, no. That Mark took care of that. They went out. <laughs> nice. So I don't I don't think Mark got home until about 2 or 3 in the morning. Oh, we'll cut that from the show. Okay. I'm sure Ashkan <laughs> doesn't want that out there. Yeah. You know what? I, I guess our meeting was too early in the morning. We had eggs, but uh, I think it would have been more fun. We've, we've gotten, we've gotten drinks quite a few times. It's always a good time. Um, before we get to that, I want to cover our weeks and all that. But even before that, I want to give a, a shout out to the sponsor that's been with us since the beginning, Float Away. Uh, these guys are replacing our old, modified by previous user, Tranquility Float Tank. And uh, we are going with the the um, stars in the ceiling, which is hilarious because that is something that does not move my needle in any way. I'm the guy who I don't I want a, a light in the float tank. I don't want anything. I just want to shut the door and be in there. But um, like when Sandra experienced that in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma at Liber, she fell in love with that. And everybody who experiences it loves it. Well, I guess technically not everybody because I'm I'm not in love with it, but I realize what it means for our customer base and the excitement that's going to come with that. So I'm excited that that uh, will be coming in. And I guess the big announcement, if you want to call it that, is that we will have that installed by the time the float conference gets here. So I'm so excited about that. It's <laughs> awesome. Uh, everybody's going to be able to get to check out our Tranquility Float Tank, which reminds me, if you're interested in buying a Tranquility Float Tank... Um, uh, book now. Book sooner than later so you can actually hop in that puppy and, and see what it's like in there because um, those, I mean, Float Conference Week, it just books up. It just books up. I mean, our regular uh, customer base on top of uh, floatrepreneurs coming in, um, just uh, think ahead, book book your floats. And that that's actually for anybody. Book ahead of time as, as soon as you can. Uh, let's see here. Lance, I'm really excited to hear about what you have to say this week. I, I, wow. So I've been seeing you doing tons of Facebook Live um, advertisements. Oh, real quick, floataway.com, <laughs> in case that was lost on anybody. www.floataway.com. Uh, so you're doing all these Facebook Live videos, and 
um, A, I'm just seeing you getting tons of views on those things, tons of shares. So cool. But the really cool thing is you mentioned off the air that you're going to do, um, no, maybe it was on the air, geo-targeting for your advertisements. And it sounds like it went really well, but I haven't heard anything about it. So please fill me in. Yeah, I'm not sure if I did say it on the air, but I did I did attempt to do a live video that um, Friday morning. It was Friday, July 1st, which um, we celebrate as our birthday. So we'll say it's our second birthday at the Float Shack. And it was also nice. Canada Day, so it's the day we all celebrate. But uh, that morning, I tried to do a live video and explain to people what I was going to do that day. Um, but yeah, I basically created an ad. And that, that and was through Art of the Float when you were explaining what you were going to yeah, do. Yeah, That's through what it was. Art of the Float. Yeah, I don't think it was on air. It was, it was the Art of the Float live feed you did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was, and then it split up. I lost connection. Man, right. that's, that's what's tough about these live videos is... Mm-hmm. You're halfway through and you lose connection. There's nothing you can do unless maybe there is, but I'm so new to it. (laughs) The only way by learning is by doing more live videos. But anyways, it was a two-part video. And what I did is I created my ad, um, talk about our birthday, and we're having a sale that day. Um, We don't normally have sales. I don't think we've had a sale this year. We may, like, if we have a sale, we don't cut our price, we'll, you know, add something free into it or add something on top of it or you know, buy two floats and get a deal sort of thing. Um, But we ran basically a first-time floaters deal, but to anyone. So we ran $39 floats all day. You can buy maximum five. So that $39 is the same price as what our yearly members pay to float. So, And um, our three-pack works out to paying pretty much $39 per float. So um, I created an ad. And then in that ad, I targeted it 1.7K around the float shack because directly across the river is a place called Bower Ponds. Forgetting to breathe here. (laughs) There's a a place across the river called Bower. Yeah, 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 yeah. A place across the river called Bower Ponds where um, that's where they have food vendors all day and it's a big multicultural event and celebrating Canada Day and that night the fireworks go off there. So pretty much the entire city comes to gather um, at Bower Ponds or basically in front of the float shack. So I targeted an ad from that morning from 8 a.m. to 1 a.m. and basically anyone in that, I put $30 to it I believe, and anyone in that radius was going to be hit with a Facebook advertisement, whether they knew of us or not. Because mm-hmm. usually you can select who you target market to, people who like your page, people who like your page and their friends, or you can basically create your own demographic and target who you want. But sure. this is a way of targeting to location. Now, this worked substantially well. Um, we paid rent, and we paid rent for next month, and there's some extra money, so it was really, really, really good. Um, we have never done anything like this. Last year, we had radio advertisement. We had a live on location last year, and they did twelve or fifteen, like one minute on air announcements, and mm-hmm. we maybe got like twelve or thirteen people in. But um, that day on Friday, we had people coming in buying five floats at a time, and people who've never floated, they didn't want to commit to you know, our $70 or $120 wow. and 
they wanted to get in at $40. Uh-huh, so, right. And this is something we do all the time. So when people see a deal like that, they obviously jumped on it. That's nice. what I meant. Hello? Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, radio is dead. <laughs> Don't advertise yeah, yeah, the yeah, radio. That was, that was really bad. I went in, like, I won't tell people. Those radio people are sneaky because I went in. I was like, hey, guys, I'll give you 10 free floats here. Give them out to whoever. Give them to your DJs. Hand them out on the show, whatever. And they end up, like, coming back and, like, somehow sneaking me into, like, signing a contract to pay for radio. And I never <laughs> wanted to go with radio, but we did three months, and it was the biggest fail we ever did. Right. I'd love and to talk expensive. about that more in another episode. Yeah, yeah. I have spent more money those three months on radio than I've ever spent on Facebook <laughs> advertising. And that's the <laughs> only advertising we pretty much do now, like, paid advertising. It's so good. It's so good. And the way you can specify who it gets to, but, there's just no reason not to. I want to go back to the geotargeting a little bit and yeah. how that can be used to your advantage. So if there is um, a major concert, major event, a major sports team. So say there's a big hockey game going on at the arena here, and I know there's going to be 15,000 people packed in that arena. Mm-hmm. I can take that geotag and I can drop that pin right over that arena and I can create a tar- an ad that's targeting to athletes or hockey players or um whatever you think the demographic of people mm-hmm. is going to be that's watching that hockey game mm-hmm. and you can target your ad rate to those people whether it's anything so yeah that's so cool it seems like if you're willing to put in the attention um to your social media or your you know specifically for your geotargeting and all of that you're really able to customize your advertisements for whomever you want to get that's invaluable and a lot of us don't have a whole lot of money, but if you <laughs> yeah. take the time, it's true, for our marketing budget, I totally get that. Uh, um, but if you take the time, but you do have time, most of us do have time, or at least we can make mm-hmm. time or create time. Um, and you can do this very inexpensively. We've done some geotargeting with some really amazing results as well. And so, like Lance said, he spent $30. Is that correct, Lance? 30 bucks? Yeah, I don't usually spend that much on that, but yeah, mm-hmm. 30 bucks. Yeah. You that get- is something... A lot of people can afford. Yeah. Yes. If you really want a hard-hitting targeting ad, you can put seven bucks to an ad and target the right people that you know are going to come through your door, and you're going to get more right. people that way than putting twenty-five dollars toward a scattered, a scattered post. Basically. Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing. Like, how are there, uh, you know, two thousand cable channels and the, they're all making money? It's because Cake Wars is on the Food Network. I'm, I'm assuming, and. Uh, they have a specific demo who's watching their television program. So they're able to charge more than just the huge scatter shot, which is only going to work for a few different companies like the Fords and the Coca-Colas. But this is fantastic where you can get that exact specific demo you want to get into your doors. My God, I love it. I'm, I'm loving Facebook right now, which is really funny because they are lowering how much we get seen by people in general. Our posts, the organic reach will go down. They, they announced that. Um, and I think what they say is something to the effect of um, it's not the content they want to see. They don't find it as valuable as the content um, you know, their, their friends post. I, I don't like a business unless I'm interested in the stuff they're going to post. So I personally disagree with that, but uh, I'll trust their research, except that, funny enough, if they lower our organic reach, we have to pay to uh to be seen on facebook which um is quite friendly towards facebook so funny funny that their research helps the bottom line so i 
What do you think, Amy? But, but I'm going to say, you know, it's true and it's frustrating for sure. But they really still do value content okay. that connects with your readers. So um, if you know your target, it forces you to know your target market better and to know them with more um, specific specificity. Specificity. Cannot speak tonight. <laughs> um, which I think, even though it's hard, I think it's something that we should all strive for anyway. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, a lot of people we throw, and I, I'm just as guilty, by the way. I am not saying this in judgment because I am probably the worst offender. There are some days when I'm just like, oh, gosh, I just need something to throw up there. Somebody give me an article. And it's there's not a whole lot of thought that goes into it. And I'm getting better about creating plans because, uh, once again, I don't have a whole lot of money, but I've got some time to utilize. And so um, it, it forces us, I think, to be a little bit more um, uh, discerning about what we put out there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it forces us to know our clients, which can only make our businesses better. I totally agree with that. And I think just like we were talking about with our SEO episode uh, last week is that if you provide quality content, the search engines kind of learn that. They, they start to figure out what's actually, what's not white noise and what people find has value. And they bring you up because of that in, in the search engines, et cetera. And I think Facebook's doing the exact same thing. I mean, we all, we've all met that person who just talks, 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 and you don't get anything out of what they're saying. It's just, it just becomes white noise. It becomes annoying. And uh, we don't we don't want to be that person as a business. We want to be providing value. So, um, yep, that sounds about right. Um, but yeah, no, I'm not I'm not frustrated with with Facebook uh, by by any means, especially right now. What with the uh, them trying to promote Facebook Live, I'm I'm just <laughs> loving it. Uh, Lance has got me on a roll with with Facebook Live and. Just earlier today, um, we're, we're closed, which was one thing I learned was don't record a Facebook Live video rushed uh, because I the, my first one was during a transition and I needed to get into a float tank real quick to, to give a little mini tour before somebody was going to go float in there. And so this time I did it while we were closed. But lo and behold, I'm camera shy, <laughs> totally got amped up anyways and talked super fast. So I'm, I'm still still working on it. But uh Basically, um, we I just ripped off Lance. I just did uh, a float Friday, <laughs> free float Friday on Tuesday, <laughs> um, and uh, basically we'll we'll give away the the free float on Friday. But uh, we announced it today, and um, I don't know. I think it has over twenty shares. It's got I think a thousand impressions, and I I'd have to check how many how many actual video views it has. But it seems to be somewhere around thirty five percent of the impressions are actually viewed video. So. Um, nowhere near the numbers Lance is pulling in with him. And I know he's he's been way more consistent with it and people are tuned in more to it. But I am so happy to have, I mean, it is literally free advertising by just doing these Facebook Live videos. I know we've been talking about it for like three weeks straight or more, but um, wh- what can I say? It's, it's the most valuable advertising I've stumbled upon. Yeah, I love it. And I, I love seeing other float centers. I follow quite a few yes. on my Facebook, and it seems like I'm seeing live tours everywhere. So yeah. it's wicked. Um, one thing <laughs> I want to tell you guys that I think you should do next, that I want to do next, but you'll yeah. probably end up doing before me, <laughs> is advertising and marketing a live Q&A. So if mm, we say mm-hmm. this Friday when we pick a time, say this Friday at... 6 p.m. or 7 p.m., whenever we think our demographic is going to be sitting on Facebook, um, we do a live Q&A, say we're going to have a half an hour where we sit in front of this camera and 
say Matthew and myself will just have a conversation and you ask us through the comment feed and we'll answer because mm-hmm. that's basically building you a video database of mm. everyone's frequently asked questions. So, you know. uh, yes, I, I want to do that and I want to build up viewership before I do that. Um, cause I'm, I'm scared. I, I tune in, I don't wait like a minute or two, which when you see the big timers doing it, they wait a little bit to get everybody watching and then they talk and, uh, I'm too scared to do that. So like my, my version of that is the time it takes for me to walk up the stairs to a float tank. Like that's literally, that was my buffer today. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 10 seconds tops. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's just one tactic. I was just trying to explain that's one. What yes, you did yes. yesterday and what I've done previous days are just small, minute things that can be done in this, in this live video mm-hmm. industry, call it, who knows what it is. Um, and and the fact thing is exactly what we plan on doing is we want to talk about what is floating because we actually haven't tackled that. Uh, we want to tackle um, or not tackle, but uh, introduce all of our float tanks on Facebook Live. And we want to uh, basically do exactly what you said, which uh, not exactly what you said, but take the fact, the frequently asked questions and uh, do a Facebook Live video on one or two of those questions at a time just so we can provide a little bit of value, a little bit of content every single time, kind of slow drip it. And um, like today, where I was showing off the Tranquility float tank, worked in the uh, giveaway. So, and actually, I again, speaking of ripping you off, I, that was also just copying you. I realized you were talking about the CFC and the things that you were doing, and worked that into the giveaway. So it wasn't just like, "Hey, waka waka, we got a we got a sale, and just share this, and everybody gets a free float, or you know, the chance to win a free float." It, you worked in content into there that um, has them. In, either endeared to you or a better understanding of your business, et cetera. So I thought that was awesome. I, I really dug how you did that. And I uh, did my best to replicate that. So thanks, Lance. Man, Lance, oh, I, thanks, man. I, I attribute you to, I mean, I can't say everybody doing this, but it seems like the float centers just skyrocketed on doing these Facebook live videos. And I, I think it's because of you. And uh, you I introduced... Think it's, just, it's, it's something new and lots of people are exploring it and finding out about it. But it's just... Yeah, it's sometimes you have to go to your comfort zone and explore these things, and, you know, it's magic can happen. All right, Mr. Humble. Humble. Uh, oh. <laughs> Liz, did you pay yourself this week? Yeah, yeah, I paid my bills. It was great. Nice. nice. Yeah. I feel after the last few episodes, that's, that's good to cover. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, made up for some of the, made up for some of the lost payments, too, or lost. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And that's, is that... Would you say specifically because of your sp- sale or just in general? Your um, It's just nice to get caught up and, and get above, you know, s- pass our goals. When you pass your goals, nice, nice. you need to celebrate, right? Yeah. So, yes. and when you, yeah, we weren't expecting what did happen, so. Oh, cool. Nice. Mm-hmm. It's, it's nice. nice when it comes out the other way. And I had a lot going on that day, so it was quite stressful. I was in and out of the float center and. And, but coming back and looking at the numbers at the end of the day, it feels good. And you have to celebrate nice. that. Excellent. Yep. Got to celebrate. You've got to celebrate. Amy, I'm really interested in your week here just because, like you mentioned before the show, you mentioned this, we're at the halfway mark through the year. Yeah. Talk I to know. me. Talk to and me. I- well, okay, so I do actually uh, spend quite a bit of time, at least quarterly and half a year, I take some time out to. Uh, review my books, review my marketing plan, check my numbers, um, check my stats, and make some changes if necessary. 
And the reason I started doing that was it was really easy to get caught up in the day to day. And I'd get to the end of the year and I'd be like, well, crap, I missed my entire goal for this oh, year. Or right. I, you know, my books are kind of messed up. I needed to do this. Um, and I find that m- I would love to just say I do it month to month, but that just isn't very realistic for me. Um, but in the quarter, if I check quarterly and then do the big check, take a few extra hours during my half a year mark, there's an opportunity to massage, make some changes, do some measures mm-hmm. um, so that I'm actually learning lessons um, from my from my failures. We were talking before we got started. I think I've I've probably lost more money and had more failures this year than ever. But I've also <laughs> learned some of the most important lessons that are going to save me a crap load of money um, moving forward. So. Taking the time, uh, and I know none of us have time, right? But taking the time to sit back, gather all your books, gather your numbers, go through your balance sheet, your P&L step by step, making sure everything's in its place and that it's it's portraying you in a way that is um, that is uh, as flattering as it can be uh, is super, super important. And what does P&L uh, stand for? Uh, profit and loss. Thank sorry. you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, nice. So, yeah, so I, I spent a lot of time. And, and actually, I have to say, I spent a lot of extra time on my marketing strategy, thanks to not only our SEO uh, podcast last week, which was so freaking full of information. Freaking I can barely a. stand it. <laughs> I have made so many changes. And, you know, okay, so here's the deal. I'm the only float center around here, um, and I show mm. up at the top, mm-hmm. but that SEO is still super, mm-hmm. super important to wh- who it gets out to and what search terms are used to put mm. you at the top. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've made some changes in my marketing, my SEO strategy, and nice. Um, nice. and in my uh, marketing, my social media strategy as well, thanks to the things that we've talked about on here. So valuable stuff, people. We all can learn. Awesome. Nice work, Amy. Such a professional. Always such a professional. My goodness. <laughs> Lance and I are just doing a monkey dance and you're you've got the you're wearing your spectacles and you got your calculator out and you're <laughs> hammering it out. <laughs> so sad. I, I'm glad I get to be with you, party animals. You know, to, you, know, you know how to play. You know how to nice, do it. Right, right. right. I, I was thinking uh, while I was editing last week's show, I was like, man, we just stole information from this SEO guy. Like, geez, we just made out like bandits. And then I started <laughs> thinking, oh wait, he knows exactly what he gave out what do people pay for? Like he just gave away all that information for free. Oh my God. Uh, if you hired him on, uh, we, we should all pull our money together and hire him on. I think we might, may, might need a few more float centers to actually make that happen. But uh, I, I'm really curious what his, I don't know, like paid content, if you will, for, for him and, and all of that, what, what that is. Because I could not believe all the information coming out of his mouth. Every single time, any question, he just had just a, a wealth of information. So cool. Uh, so normally, uh, we give a shout out to the Float Conference before we go into our main topic, which of course is the second part of our water maintenance episode. But since we have Ashcon here, I figured we'd say hello to him and then have him do the the advertisement for the Float Conference. Welcome to the show, Ashcon. Hey, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for being here. Yeah. So do you want to tell our audience why they should be coming into the Float Conference? Yeah. I mean, well, I, I obviously think that you should be coming to the Float Conference. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess to just share something a little bit from my end of it, which is that it's, it's just so much fun kind of having everybody out. Like, I, I pretty much the more I think of the Float Conference as a party, the, the kind of better the planning tends to go and the more enjoyable oh, nice. I find it. So I, I guess I mostly just wanted to say a giant thank you to everybody who comes. 
because uh, you're all awesome and you're all <laughs> super fun to hang out with. And like, it really is you, like the people coming to the conference that, that make the event so much fun and, and so enjoyable, even though, you know, it, it kind of uh, wrecks havoc on my sleep and, and destroys other <laughs> aspects of my life, but it's all worth it <laughs> oh, when, no. uh, when everybody's out there. And it's so great to see everybody actually come and kind of see the, the fruits of, of mm -hmm. our labor for putting it on. So, so that was mostly what I wanted to say was just a big thank you for everyone to coming because uh, you guys are awesome. I love it. That's awesome. Where should they go for tickets, Ashcon? <laughs> oh, yeah, that, that part. Um, the website's just floatconference.com. You can find uh, all the information there. Nice. And uh, it's a little off the cuff here, but I know um, there are potential speakers on Friday. Is that out yet for people to vote on? Um, actually, almost. Not, not quite out. It might be by the time this episode actually airs. I'm just okay. working on uh, launching it either tomorrow or the next day, so very soon. Sweet, cool. Yeah, so that will be out by this episode. So um, Great. If, if you're interested in uh, seeing a particular speaker um, on the Float Conference main stage, uh, go ahead and check it out. Art of the Float will be there, of course, uh, for, for your, your voting pleasure. And uh, beyond <laughs> that, yeah, again, floatconference.com. Check it out, and we'll all, we'll all be there. Everybody knows the immense value for the Float Conference. It just, <laughs> it just makes sense. So um, awesome. Let's get into it. Uh, uh, yeah, Lance. Before we get into this, I know like, <laughs> yes. we're all, we all know who Ashcon is, but we have me. Oh we, my god! We have listeners who not who do not know who Ashcon is. So, Ashcon, <laughs> please, please um, tell us who you are and where you came from and what your role is, if you have a role in this float industry. <laughs> yeah. <definitely>, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How do you imagine um, so, it to be? Uh, my name is Ashkan, and I uh, run Float On, which is a another float center here in Portland, Oregon, which is great. So you're just uh, got float neighbors with Dylan here. And um, yeah, we, I guess, super fast background was we opened our center in 2010, and uh, we have six float tanks now, and, and that's been going for almost six years now, which is, six which is a little years. bit crazy to think about. And, um, yeah, we do a lot of other stuff just to try to, I guess, help other people open float centers, uh, one of which is organizing the float conference. And we have software that we make called the Float Helm and uh, mm. do, like, training and workshops and stuff like that called Float Tank Solutions. And, um, yeah, generally try to, you know, keep ourselves busy, which I think we do a good job of. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, yeah, help people out, I guess, when in whatever way we can. So that's, nice. the, that's the quick background. <laughs> I can vouch for that, by the way. <laughs> he just covered. Yeah, you're such a familiar face. Every year at the conference, it's always Ashcon. I think I even have a picture with you from the first year, and yeah, it's one of the nice. first one of the first faces I know of the float industry. Oh, so. that's cool. That yeah. was very cool. It's cool, dude. Awesome. And actually, Ash, as well, we're telling Ashcon stories. <laughs> uh -oh. Ashcon, you were actually no. This is a good one. I don't have any bad Ashcon stories. <laughs> Shouldn't invite um, my mom on here. <laughs> Let's book her. Brian, would you get her uh, on the show? Thanks. <laughs> um, when I reached out to the Flow Conference the very first year y'all had it, um, you were the first person I reached out to. And it, through the conversation, I was trying to get tickets, and y'all were helping us out because I think it was sold out, and we ended up being able to come. I know what it was. It was the um, the great little two-day conference that you had before the conference, the workshop. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. And y'all were, were helping out with that. Um, and you found out of the struggles that we were having with our health department at the time. And thanks to you and a really nice piece of information you put together, which was, I think you called every health department or every state's health department here in the U S 
um, that was kind of our starting point as nice. to how to tackle the issue here in Tennessee. So um, you were probably my first impression of the of the float industry. And as always, like we talk about on the show, extremely helpful, extremely kind, and it was just fantastic. So grateful for the work that y'all did. Oh, great. Thank you. I'm glad that was helpful. I didn't, to be a... Uh... To be fair, I didn't call every state tell department. I got through about like 35 of them or something, I think. And what's uh, it, really interesting is that the when I think back on that experience, because that was that was a long time ago. That was in like 2011 or something that I did that. When I think back on that, and it's really one indication of how much things have changed with this whole health mm -hmm. department scene in the float world. Like people would not give me the time of day when I did that. Like the, I mean, people were trying to hang up on me. Like nobody had any idea what float tanks were when I talked to them. No one cared to seem to want to help or anything. Mm -hmm. And now it's the opposite. Now I get health departments calling me asking for information mm -hmm. and like thanking me for my time. And I'm just like, nice. you wouldn't even listen to me like four <laughs> or five years ago. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's uh, that, that actually is a really great kind of indication of, of the fact that we're growing and that people are starting to, to pay attention to and realize that, you know, this is a thing that, that needs to, you know, have some time and energy put into it. That's great. Love it. I love it. And uh, yeah, actually, before we get into the, to the pH, which is the first thing I want to get into, um, there's also a little adventure you just went on here. Yeah. <laughs> it took a substantial amount of time, too. Was it three months of, of your life? Is that right? Yeah. So uh, we were on the road for three months. Um, we visited each one of you on the way over the course of that time. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, basically uh, we called it the float tour. So Graham and I and and uh, someone else that, that we brought on called JT to kind of document the entire thing went on a, uh, a huge trip around the U.S. and Canada visiting float tank centers. Um, which which pretty much just came out of, like, Graham and I were trying to figure out what the most enjoyable thing we could do that we could justify as work would be. And uh, that, was, that was what we came up with, giant float road trip. So, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, it was it was a blast. Like, our, we had really no intention other than just, like, grabbing beers with as many people as possible, which I, which I think we, we succeeded at. But, uh, nice. yeah. Definitely did in Nashville. Uh, <laughs> um, Mark, yeah. Mark came home very late there. Uh-huh, that's right. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was an amazing time. Like, uh, again, cool. like, I, as everyone knows, like, the people in this industry are, are super great. So much fun to hang out with. So generous. So... Just welcoming. I mean, it, it felt like it was a road trip visiting family or something like that for how much people were just kind of warm and, and you know, took us in. Even even if we had just had a few conversations over the phone before or never met them before, yeah. it didn't seem to matter. Like, people were just so, so, like, ready and willing to, to be friends. And, love yeah, it. it was great. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome back. Welcome Thank back you. to Portland. Thank you. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah, just made it back, like, a few weeks ago at this point. Yeah, right. Yeah, I think I was well, probably your second to last stop, I think, something like that. Maybe third yeah. to last stop. Uh -huh. Whew, man, what, what an amazing <laughs> adventure. Um, all right, guys, let's get to this. Uh, pH is probably the, the number one thing that we we missed um, uh, really, really diving into on the last water maintenance episode. I don't know who wants to, to take this. Lance, do you want to take pH right off the bat, or Ashcon, do you want to take it? Um, well, just... Um pH. I don't know exactly what we said last week about pH. Um, sure. But um, what ranges do you keep your pH in and why? And like, Amy, you're regulated. What do they tell you to do? Yeah. And yeah. 
Seven or seven point two to seven point eight mm. is our rec- is our requirement. And that that sounds about like the the standard range and uh, for swimming pool, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so that's where I think Ashcon is going to bring some some extra value to the show because Ashcon knows a lot about pools, isn't that right? <laughs> Ashcon, I do. Yeah, I didn't. I did not know that it was something I was going to end up knowing a lot about. But uh, yeah, this is you know it's it's interesting, and I, and I should really preface like everything I'm about to say with the fact that you know I. I'm just learning all this stuff myself, so definitely don't just take what I'm saying as kind of uh, the truth or anything. The, the more I look into this, the more I realize there's a huge amount of conflicting information out there. Um, and, and, you know, Graham and I go to these, like, conferences all about pool sanitation, and we get there and we hear, like, the experts in the field saying totally different things from one mm. another and just, like, arguing. You're like, okay, like, this is as high as, if, as you can get, mm. and there's people who just, like, are in direct contradiction with each other. So, so yeah, I just want to like put that warning out to to kind of you know take everything I say with the uh, with the old grain of Epsom salt, as right. as we say in the fluid industry. <laughs> right. But um, as as far as I can tell, like here's here's kind of what I know about pH, specifically for float tanks. Um, I, I guess starting with pools. So like you know why why do you keep pH in that range in pools? I've I've been trying to figure out the answer to that question, and I've only ever been told three reasons. By, you know, when I bring this up with health department people and regulators, and this is the best list I've ever gotten, is the biggest reason is that it uh, the chlorine, how effective chlorine is, is based off of pH. So that's like the number one huge reason pools are keeping their pH in that range. If you go higher than that, your chlorine becomes less and less effective. And, uh, you know, you'll actually see some pool regulations will, if an inspector comes and they measure your pH and you're outside of that range, you're shut down on the spot. And the reason they're doing that is because you, it's really what it's saying is that your chlorine's not doing what you think it's doing, hmm. which is the much more important part. So that's, you know, that's kind of the big reason that, that I know about there. And the other ones are, uh, the second reason you hear is bather comfort, which is uh, basically like the human eye is most comfortable in that, in that kind of pH range. So if, you're, if your pool is in that level and you open your eyes under, underwater in a pool, like that's going to be the most comfortable for you. And, and the third reason I know is uh, for your equipment. So like metals in your equipment and your pumps and things like that are uh, going to corrode faster if you have really acidic water or if you have very you know, basic water. And so um, those, those are kind of the main three reasons. And it's nice. interesting because if you, if you put that into float tank context, mm-hmm. they kind of all just start to kind of crumble. You know? So I, specifically in a float tank that doesn't use chlorine. So if you are using sure. chlorine, then, you know, yeah, it's it's important. It's for the same reason that it is in a pool. But there's lots of people out there not using chlorine. Um, and as far as I know, peroxide and UV and ozone are not uh, dependent on on pH for their efficacy, mm-hmm. at least not in the ranges we're talking about. You know, okay. like your, your water is only naturally going to be in a certain rate. It's not like going to drop to two or anything like right. that. Right. Mm-hmm. But um, so that reason kind of goes out the window if you're on like peroxide UV or, or ozone UV or something like that. And... Uh, I'm sure, as, as we all know, if you open your eyes underwater in a float tank, I don't think you're going to care what the pH is. Like, it's going to hurt pretty bad <laughs> no matter what. Right, right. And, well, um, on, on that note, can I yeah. ask, So, and, and this is going quite a few years back while we were just trying to, to get everything dialed in as far as pH alkalinity and just everything, was that people were getting irritated skin, itchy skin, and we found that our pH levels were off the charts. I think, I think it was very high. Which, which is more acidic? Lower uh, is more acidic. It, it's lower than it must have been extremely low. And that's what we had figured out was we had to bump up our, our pH and, and really start paying attention to that. I mean, this is during very 
early opening days of really having no idea how to run these things uh-huh. and, and figuring it out. And like at, at this point, I don't even think about those things. I don't even think about the pH. It just stays, it's always within a particular range. It's extremely rare. We add something to lower it or raise it. Um, but, uh, and, and I don't know if that's true for you guys or not, uh, but, but has, has anybody experienced itchy skin and did they correlate that with pH? Well, I, I was just going to say, um, like, I know my girlfriend is seawater. I know that's like a pH of, of eight or something, but she gets irritated by seawater, but our float tank water, she does not get irritated by. Mm-hmm. And I was just going to ask, like, we can't just say like pH doesn't matter in a float tank, which I know that's not what we're saying, but we still have to recommend a range to stay in mm-hmm. between or, you know, people may sit at that eight range or that six something range and like what range should we sit at is are we comfortable with the the 7.2 to 7.8 or is there a better range that we should be sitting at like yeah and that's that's kind of the tricky part is that i don't i don't know of any you know research or anything that has gone in and said this is the best range mm-hmm. for a float tank and you know what when i when there is such a kind of lack of information like that i do tend to fall back on pool mm-hmm. stuff mm-hmm. you know like i i still just try to keep it in that pool range just because everything else you're doing is assuming you're in that range, you know, for as, you know, that's just kind of the assumption that other stuff is going off of. Mm -hmm. So it feels to me like it it creates the least amount of variables uh, that you have to worry about if you just kind of stick in that range. But I don't know, there's, there's a part of me that wouldn't be surprised if we found out, you know, when people do start researching it, that anywhere between six and eight really doesn't matter. And it's not actually something you have to Mm -hmm. keep a close eye on. I mean, I don't know, like I, I would be very interested to see someone actually start getting some real answers out of that but but what i do know or what i seem to know is that we don't have a lot of answers for it (laughs) and that's like the main thing i've really i've really learned from it which is and this is all you know we i'm sure we'll talk about this too but the uh this is all assuming we can even measure ph correctly in the first place (laughs) which i'm i'm not so confident on Hmm. and did you want to talk about how we all measure ph uh should we jump into that? I, I know, uh, you know, there, there are test strips for pH and alkalinity, and that's what we use at the float shop, but it's, it's also pretty famous for being inaccurate and wildly different between brands or how old the strips are, I mean, uh, and how long you've held it in your hand, <laughs> you know? Uh, Ashkan, how do you recommend people check their, their pH and alkalinity? Um, I mean, so we, we use like a little digital pH tester mm-hmm. that, that we have, but, uh, I usually recommend people figure out what their health departments are using and yeah, then exactly. buy those and start <laughs> using those. So um, like Amy is required to mm-hmm. use the test strips. <laughs> well, they just required that we test pH uh-huh. and they actually suggested the test strips oh, um, just for ease. Oh, right. Which is which uh, is really unusual, I will say. Yeah. Like it I most health department people you out there uh, will not even allow like test strips or they, they tend to be known as as more of a residential kind of easy to use mm. thing rather than a reliable actually how you should be testing things in commercial settings. Was, I mean, it's very interesting to hear that your health department actually even uses those. <laughs> now, Ashkan, when you're using the uh, electronic testers, do you have any indication that the Epsom salt could be affecting the readings? Um, so here's what I've done is I've taken, I took just water and Epsom salt and I actually mailed it to Lamott and to Taylor which are Taylor Technologies, the two kind of biggest, or at least some of the biggest ones that uh, really make pool testing equipment. 
So, okay. you know, if you, a lot of health departments, if they come inspect your place, are using something from Lamont or, or something from Taylor. Okay. And uh, it's a bit hard to get through to these companies because they, they, they again, are, I'm trying to, like, take up time in their R&D departments and they're really not willing to give it to me. Mm -hmm. But I did persuade them to do a little bit of testing for me. Nice. Uh, the, the pH, they didn't really test. The alkalinity was something they tested and and said that they they don't they both told me that they don't have a single device that could accurately measure alkalinity in a float tank fantastic and, and they both said <laughs> okay. that uh they didn't think the ph was probably was they thought the ph was probably in the same boat they didn't okay. actually test it or anything like that so i, I don't have uh, <laughs> as confident of a statement to make about that one were you but, getting blown off by them or were they w did they really put in some time and they came back with we can't give you accurate readings did you get a read on that uh, no, they tested it. They actually they sent me okay. the, the, like, here's our tests, and it just, like, threw them off like crazy. <laughs> and, uh, and it's all, you know, all the all the different devices often use the same kind of basic technology. Like, a lot of the digital readers, you're still mixing in, like, reagents and stuff like that, and then you just have something digital read the color to you. So, like, the base chemistry tends to be similar across a lot of different uh, testing devices. But, yeah, I mean, they basically said they didn't have anything, and... I'm still working on convincing them to make an actual float tank <laughs> alkalinity tester. But, uh, you know, I've heard from other people, too, like health departments and stuff like that, saying that they, they did not have a lot of faith in the, the pH readings they were getting. Okay. Good times. Good times. Yeah. <laughs> that just goes to that whole wild, wild west of the float tank centers. Yeah. Welcome, so, welcome to being in a new industry. Yeah. yeah. Well, if someone's out there, like, we do have to test our water, well, some people are, are told they have to test it. And if you mm -hmm. choose to test it, find what method you want to use and stick with that brand and stick with that product. Don't go switching products all oh, over sure. the place because we but we use strips as well, Ashcon. But if we use the same strips, we can see a variance in our pH and alkalinity move up slightly. But if we switch to different brands of strips, it's all over the place. You don't know which one to go to. So we've we've just yep. decided just use the same brand, use the same strip, and go from there. But yeah, again. they they do seem to be consistent. Uh, of all the testing devices I get, they I don't know if they're accurate, but they but they do seem to be consistent to themselves. Mm. Is is definitely something I found. Which I know, like with my background in the oil field and stuff, when you're mixing with all these different chemicals, you're still using pH strips for some of that, and there's a lot more harsh chemicals than float tank water. So I'm curious what's really causing this to be so inaccurate. If it's the how mm. conductive the the salt water is, or I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I don't know either, but someday, someday somebody's going to make actual <laughs> float tank testing devices, and, and it's going to be great. You know, uh, another quick thing I just wanted to note, too, is that this, this information can even vary a lot, mm -hmm. uh, regardless of float tanks. Mm -hmm. So Germany, Germany has, you know, pool regulations of two, uh, two of course, and they, their pH range is 6.5 to 7.5 mm -hmm. for pools. So this is two, you know, the United States and Canada and, and Germany are all big countries and they've all had pools for a long time. And even they have, mm. like, numbers that are that different from one another. Yeah. So, yeah, it's very, uh, it gets, the deeper you look into it, the less confident you feel about anything. Yeah. <laughs> huh. <laughs> that's, that's frustrating. That is frustrating. Uh, you know what? Okay, so I, I now I kind of want to breeze through a, a few of these things, just because if, if it's all question marks, then <laughs> let, maybe we should just focus on the things we, we can actually do to make sure we have a well-running center. Uh -huh. I mean, obviously, go by the guidelines you, you have to follow. Um, but uh, alkalinity, I generally think of as a buffer for pH. Uh, would would you guys agree with that? Um, that I, I don't think necessarily having high or low alkalinity 
in, in my mind, impacts anything besides managing your pH, making it easier to manage your pH. Can you add anything to that, Ashkong? Um, uh, in pools, it can. So in okay. pools, basically, uh, high alkalinity, in addition to, to kind of deciding how stable your pH is, uh, can lead to scaling. So that's when like mineral deposits kind oh, of like precipitate okay. out of the water. Have you ever been in a pool and like you look at their tiles and there's that kind of like white grime totally. layer mm -hmm. over it? Mm -hmm. That's scaling. So high alkalinity can can encourage that. Okay. Which is, uh, you know, it doesn't look nice on tiles, but the bigger problem is that it can form inside of the pipes, and and restrict your pipe size to, and that'll hurt your your flow and everything like that. Mm -hmm. I've never seen scaling happen in a float tank. Uh, so I, I don't know if that's really as much of a concern. I, I have read some stuff about the fact that magnesium specifically helps break down calcium deposits and calcium is like the main thing that tends to, tends to be in that scaling. So we might just have like a really nice kind of natural, <laughs> you know, defense against that. Um, so, so nice. it's just not something I've ever encountered and, and too low alkalinity can make your, it basically does the, the opposite. Like your water becomes kind of hungry for minerals and it can actually start pulling minerals out of the things that it's touching. <laughs> huh. Often nice. like the metals inside of your, your pumps and stuff like that. Which again, we don't really have as big of a concern of in the float world because we, uh, you know, we just don't use a lot of metals. Mm -hmm. like we use, if we mm -hmm. do, it's like high grade stainless steel or mm -hmm. titanium or, you know, because it has to hold up to the salt, we have mm -hmm. some natural exactly. defenses against that stuff. Exactly. Nice. We just have some natural defenses for that already. Cool. Uh -huh. Very interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you, you talked about um, high alkalinity potentially causing the, that, that buildup and affecting your flow rate, which is something that we talked about before the show. You had mentioned um, putting, putting nets in. Uh, and actually, this is something Lance talked about on the last water episode was you can catch more hair. Things are going to fewer things are going to go into your, your pump system. If you put in, <laughs> I don't know if you were on the show, you mentioned stockings or if that was just on on twitter <laughs> no. but uh, basically you're able to uh catch something before it gets into the into the uh the pump and the in general like the hair baskets that they have will catch something but this is much more active in catching those things but something that you had brought up was it affecting the flow rate do you want to talk about that yeah and this one's definitely like a a thing that you hear lots of different information on i mean there's mm -hmm. there's companies out there that just literally make those nylon bags to put into your filter to, <laughs> to mm -hmm. catch stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you talk to other people and they say that you absolutely should not be putting things like that into your strainer basket. The, the strainer basket's really there to catch kind of big things like leaves mm. and rocks and stuff like that. Oh, wow. And, and, you know, the more stuff that builds up before the pump, the more work your pump has to do. So it'll, it'll strain your pump a little bit, which, which is not good for its kind of eventual lifespan. But um, also, yeah, you really just want to make sure your, your pump is, moving water at the speed that you think it's moving water because pretty much everything else is dependent on that. You know, your flow rate is such an important number and it's such an important concept in your entire filtration system that, that you want to make sure you're, you're going the speed you, you actually think you're going. Otherwise kind of everything else falls short. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just want to say those who are using those bags, um, where you put them is crucial. Um, you do have that, that basket that goes inside there. A lot of pumps do before them. If you put that net on the outside of the basket, it's it's likely to be sucked in to your pump and could cause damage. If you have it on the inside of your basket, it's not going nowhere. And with my experience using the baskets and the hair nets is any hair that does come in there, it spins around and, it, and it's in this little tiny ball. Now, if you were to not check this for weeks, months, years, 
Yes, you may have buildup of stuff and it may cause restriction and could cavitate the pump. But with regular maintenance and stuff, if that hair isn't caught before going through your pump, it's going to wrap around your impeller. And I bet there's multiple listeners on here who have uh, had to take their pumps off and rip hair out. Um, the way I see this is having the hair basket in there, you're preventing that hair from going through your pump. That could cause damage. Um, but yeah, if, if you choose to use them, check them regularly. We check ours at weekly, and they seem to be working great for us. But um, don't put them on the outside. It will get sucked into your impeller. So... <laughs> So that, yeah, that's interesting to talk about the different compromises that we, we might need to do. I mean, one of the worst things to do is open up your float tank and see hair floating mm-hmm. in there. I mean, that's just, just yeah. one of the worst. And then probably the second worst is what you covered, Lance, which is that hair hair gets caught in the impeller and starts worrying or shuts off completely um, and, and needing to, to dive into your pump to clear it out. Yeah, which is, which is actually something we, I mean, we just do on a, a set basis. So every six months we go in and and clean our impellers. So yeah, that's that's definitely true. If you don't have something like that, yeah. that is an important thing to make part of your your regular routine. Yeah. Nice. And like I've mentioned in our previous episodes, we use a like a hand strainer and we strain out all the hair and any debris before we even flick our pumps on. So what our filter basket is catching is what we missed with that hair strainer. And there isn't mm. there's never much that really gets caught in there. Um, a lot of it is just some of the clarifier when it clumps up gets caught in there. And um, just bits of hair. But. And, and do any of you guys have flow meters on your tanks? <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, I know Amy I'm does. Required. required to. Yeah. Um, so that's that's another thing. I mean, that that really helps out with this this conversation is because you know uh, it's a lot of guesswork unless you have something that's just like actually giving you the reading of what your flow rate mm-hmm. is. Um, so I, I, it's something I would really I like having on our float tanks. Um, so which, yeah. How do you decide what a good flow rate is for you if it's not manufacturer labeled, you know, determined? Um, it's so it's, I mean, your manufacturer builds the whole system and, mm-hmm. and is building it to a certain flow rate. And, you know, the filter is supposed to handle that flow rate and the UV light right. is supposed to handle that flow rate and everything like that. But it's, it's really uh, what the flow meter does is it makes sure you actually are doing that flow rate. So, um, you know, one one thing that'll happen if you don't check your, you know, impellers or or if you do let hair build up in, in those bags that Lance is talking about, you that number will go down and if you have a flow meter you can watch it. You know, so for us it's like we check it every morning and if we come in and our flow rate's like ten gallons per minute less than it normally is, I know we have a problem. Like we gotta go in and there probably is like a bunch of hair that just got caught in that impeller or something that, that we need to address. And um and so it's just a really nice way to make sure everything is kind of functioning as as it's supposed to be, uh, and and I should also preface this with um, the fact that I don't also don't have a lot of confidence that flow meters are accurate in float tanks. <laughs> Amy is also shaking her. Head. No, 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 they're not at all. Yep. Um, and the health department is actually our health department has recognized that. Um, in order to get the proper flow rate, we do have to um, we do have to. What would make the flow yeah. rate not accurate? It's as far as I know, with my experience with flow rate, it's just a pinwheel that spins. Yep. So they're they're usually calibrated for for water. So the density of the salt liquid. So uh, the the one thing I do know is one of the manufacturers of flow meters that um, that a lot of people use actually just got us tested and found that it was in fact not accurate with float tank water, um, and that it was it wasn't directly linear in terms of the difference between what it was. So it, mm. it kind of at different levels was off by different amounts. But mm. 
in general was off by about 10 gallons per minute. So it was reading 10 gallons per minute higher than the water was actually going. Um, so that's that's the only one that I know of that's that's been tested, hmm. and he found that it was uh, in fact wrong. So that's <laughs> kind of what makes me feel a little bit nervous about the other ones. Yeah. It's it's not ours is not accurate in any way, shape or form. Yeah, and hmm. and I should mention too that that guy and uh, is making a float tank specific flow meter, oh, well. which is pretty cool. Very it's cool. like the the yeah. very first time that somebody in the float or in in like, you know, a pool industry is making something for float tanks, which is a really good sign to me that right. that we're starting to grow and and kind of awesome. pay attention to people. Um yeah, he's coming out to the float conference, he'll have a little a little booth there. I think awesome. uh awesome. H2 Flow is the company, so definitely something worth looking into. Cool. Wow. Yeah, that is what we want to see as an industry. That is really exciting. I had no idea. Very cool. Um Let's see here. I wanted to talk about hydrogen peroxide levels, and um, I, I, this might kind of be going into that whole big question mark thing of what's what's truly right, right and wrong, and we we really just don't know. But um, uh, I mean, my general understanding has been if you have active hydrogen peroxide in your water, you're okay. Now, mind you, that can be eaten up in in a heartbeat, but uh, we generally considered hundred to be. At, at the maximum amount that you would want to have, but maybe 80 to be more, uh, or 80 or 90 to be more, uh, like a safe safe range for that. Would, would you agree with that, or do you think it should be kept? Um, what are your thoughts on that? Um, so, so my thoughts pretty much entirely come from Bob Crandall. So if, you, if you're unfamiliar with Bob Crandall, he's the guy who really uh, first developed peroxide in UV as a form of pool uh, sanitation. Um, so, so, you know, as far as I can tell, he seems to be a pretty good, uh, authority to listen to on it. And, um, I will just say he, he's actually got a video on the float conference website from when he came to speak. It's like an hour long and he just goes over like every, the basics of peroxide and UV. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it's really great. It's a really good watch. We'll and share that link on, on the show notes. Yeah. That's yeah. Great. Definitely. Definitely a worthwhile thing to watch through. And, and from when I was talking to him, Basically, what he told me was that, and, and you know, we got to remember that this is pool information. Like, he hasn't done any testing on float tanks. Nobody, as far as I can tell, has, you know, done peroxide research on float tanks very in a, in a very in-depth way. But what he found for pools was that anything lower than 35 parts per million, and it started to affect the performance. Um, and so he, he usually put 40 as kind of the lowest number you should hit just, just to be safe. Uh, and then anything above that is uh, pretty much buffer. So, you know, the higher you want to go than, to, than 40, just the more room you have to be above that number so that, you know, if you do drop 20 parts per million or something, you're, you're still fine. Perfect. So that's, that's kind of the best understanding I have of it. So we, we at Floaton tend to balance our tanks to about 100 because we found that above 100, um, little tiny bubbles will start to form and, and you can just kind of like feel them and hear them, which is a little distracting and, and you might start <laughs> to get into the range or if someone's floating very regularly, their hair might actually get a tiny bit lighter in color. Wow. <laughs> wow. Um, uh, so, so we kind of keep that as our, as our upper limit, but mm -hmm. you know what, what the real upper limit is for safety. I don't know, sure. but you know, if you go to the store and you're buying 3% hydrogen peroxide and, and swishing that around in your mouth. And that's 30,000 parts per million is what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that makes me feel a little bit better. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is going to sound terrible, but I also, like, have heard of this one study where they people took bunny rabbits and put... Um, <laughs> 
10,000 part per million peroxide in their eyes and found that it, it didn't have an effect. Um, so Really? Interesting. Um, so, so yeah, but we still keep 100, 100 as our kind of maximum, and that, that does yeah. give us that buffer so that we will just never fall below 40 and always and, try to keep it in that range. And the 40 is, is not to say that it, it won't be doing its job. It's just that best to keep it at 40 so as it, as it drops, it, there's something there for the next floater, the next person getting in there so that it will continue to be active. Um, so as far as I can tell, like 40, you don't ever want to go below 40. So if you're at 40, I wouldn't leave it there because the next person who's going to go in is going to make it drop below that. Right. And, and below okay. and technically 35, but you know, 40 is a, just a slightly safer number to say, but yeah, okay. that was, that was when Bob Crandall found that performance was actually affected to the point that it was unsatisfactory. Okay. So you, yeah, you just like really always want to be above that. Like you should consider that zero basically is, is 40 and, and make sure you never drop below that. Cool. Fascinating. So it, it's not just like a safe range to be in for like to, to keep keep it up. Um, I don't know how to describe this exactly, but so for the rest of the day, you're okay. It, it's like you said, a zero line. So even with UV running this filtration system, if it drops below approximately 35, it becomes no longer it's no longer keeping your water clean um it, yeah it's not quite black and white like that like it sure, starts sure. to just do worse and worse and, and right. he found like once it dropped below 20 then it like really started to get worse mm -hmm. and of course zero is is definitely bad um so it was it was like from what bob told me it was like basically between 20 and 35 was kind of where the performance really wasn't like what he wanted it to be and what he found to be satisfactory and and what seemed to be doing kind of a, a good job keeping pools clean and below 20 was definitely like not doing a good job so it, it does get worse as you go further down but uh above above 35 is where he found to be the point that that was doing what he wanted it to do in terms of cleanliness and then further above that was just kind of diminishing returns Got so, it. you know, pools, pools were keeping their levels more like 40 to 50 because it's, it's just expensive for pools. They have way more water. Mm -hmm. So we, we kind of have this ability as a float tank with, you know, whatever, 150, 200 gallons in our systems to go all the way up to 100 without a huge financial burden coming with it, right. which is uh, the main reason that, that pools and some pools, he said, were like really high capacity ones or ones that just wanted to throw extra money at it for, for less mm -hmm. headache. He said we're keeping their, their numbers more like 80 to 100 and mm -hmm. some even went a little bit higher. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, cool. I know I, That's awesome. I found in our early days when we were running our lowers lot, our numbers a lot lower, um, there would be sort of a musty odor that would sort of come mm. when it was down at, you know, 10, 20 parts per million. And I think probably a year and a half ago, we started keeping it between 40 and 80, and it's worked wonders for us. We're usually up on the higher side of that, but yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, it depends on how you're dosing. Like, we, we actually just hand dose. Um, so we don't, you know, I think one of our tanks now has a, an automated feeder. Um, so if you have an automated feeder and it's putting peroxide in after every float, like maybe, and you're consistently managing to just like stick at 50 because it's constantly injecting, then yeah, you're, you might be okay. But for us, like balancing up to those higher levels means that we can go longer without having to hand <laughs> dose it, which, which takes time for us. Yeah. So, you know, you might not need to go that high if, if you do have some sort of automation for it. Yeah, we found um, we dose three times a day at 15 mils every dose. We dose once before we start the day, midway, and at the end of the day. And we seem to, like, maintain that, like, probably 50 to 80 is what we maintain constantly. So. Mm -hmm. But that's what works for us. Everyone's going to be different. You know, right. see what works for you. Keep a record. Right. Keep a track. And then you go back right. on there and see what numbers work for you. Yeah. And, and the other part of this is that, is that really hydrogen peroxide is just kind of part of the, the, uh, the story here. 
Um, mm -hmm. and, and I kind of hear this tossed around a lot, and I, I hear this from health departments, too, saying that people came in and said that hydrogen peroxide was their, what they were going to use as their form of disinfectant. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's important to know that, like, uh, as, and again, this is coming from, from Bob Crandall, is just kind of where uh, I was getting this information, but that UV and peroxide is really the system. So peroxide by itself is not, at least what he found in pools, was not able to do the job. Like, it, just, just hydrogen peroxide was not powerful enough or a good enough uh, kind of thing at, at killing germs. And, and he so, did test those things individually. He tested hydrogen peroxide on its own. Um, boy, I, I think so. I mean, I, I would assume that's what he did to get that information. Right. Well, um, but, uh, I, yeah. yeah, I mean, it does sound like that. But I also recall, and, and I have to, I guess I need to rewatch his speech, but I feel like I remember watching his speech and going, oh, we're just assuming this combo system as opposed to just looking at, say, hydrogen peroxide. And I, I found that surprising. Um, but yeah. And, and, and we are making an assumption because we're, we're dealing with float tanks, you know, so it, it sure. might, we might find that peroxide in float tanks and with the, with the salt water mm -hmm. uh, is enough, but you know, that, that research definitely hasn't been done. So if, right. if you want to base it off what we know about pools and spas uh, right. was that what he found was he, it was, it's really the UV that is doing the, the bulk of the job. So when people talk about like hydrogen peroxide, really the peroxides there is kind of like you know, the buddy cop next to the UV that's doing that's doing the heavy lifting. Uh -huh. um, and it's important to push that message too. Like if you're talking to health departments, you know, you're not, you shouldn't just be telling them you're using a peroxide system. You should be telling them you're using a UV peroxide system mm -hmm. and emphasizing that it is those, a combination of those things. That's really what you're, what you're using to keep your float tank clean. Not necessarily just hydrogen peroxide because, you know, it, and not just Bob Crandall, other people I talk to sure. also seem to think that peroxide by it, by itself is not, a super powerful uh, form of keeping things clean. And, and do you um, do you have any concerns about corrosion uh, or uh, the UV not reaching the water as clearly as when it was you know first installed? Or do you do anything to to clean the glass? Yeah, um, so the, there's kind of two pieces of maintenance with UV. One is switching the the bulb itself. So the bulbs mm -hmm. will, uh, and and the tricky thing is the UV range of light will stop working before the visible range does. So it's not like a regular light bulb where you can just kind of look at it and, and, and you know, when it goes out, you replace it. Mm -hmm. uh, you kind of have to replace it on a schedule. And, and you know, you should really ask your manufacturer because every every UV system is a little bit different for what that schedule is. Sure. Um, for ours is, is once a year. And then, uh, and then, yeah, the other piece of the maintenance is that, that UV bulb sits inside of a glass tube mm -hmm. to protect the bulb from being, you know, having the water hit it. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's another thing that does take maintenance. Like you, you will need to open that up and make sure that tube is clean. Because if you get like a buildup of oils on it, then you're hurting that UV transmittance. So the UV rays won't really be able to make it through and be as effective unless you're you're actually keeping that thing clean. And that also goes um, on that same water clarity thing. That goes to um, if you have any aeration in your system. So if your water's running and you're sucking in air somewhere and it's really cloudy. Um, if you have very cloudy water, I don't think your UV light is going to penetrate and be able to do its job as effectively. Um, what I was going to ask Ashcon is, I was speaking with a Delta manufacturer last year, two years ago maybe, and do you know if anyone has came out with any sensor to read the light output of our UV systems? Because mm -hmm. as as the bulbs are in our system and as they wear out, like you said, that wavelength drops and they're not as efficient. Um, we're just going off, say, one year, our, like our health says change it every six months. But 
how many bulbs do I need? How much light output do I need for my UV to be effective? I know there are some UV canisters that are single bulb and or and there's some that are gigantic with six, eight bulbs in it. So do we know right now in the industry how much nanometers of light we need to be receiving in our flow tanks? Um, so, yeah, that's a big question. So... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I'll have to I'll have to kind of take that one stage at a time yeah, here. But please, one thing to know is that uh, there are lots of UV systems out there that can measure things and give you readouts mm. and tell you when you need to switch your bulbs okay. and, and tell you the exact like output that the the bulbs are doing and all that stuff. Uh, but they're they're built for pools, so <laughs> they're course. you know they're they're huge systems that usually will. You know, there'll be several thousand dollars. They are, they are usually meant to handle like 300, 250, 300 gallons per minute of flow rate. So the thing is we're buying, we're buying equipment meant for residential use. Ooh. So we don't get the bells and whistles yeah. uh, that come with the, the commercial in it. It's because of the size pay. of our, yeah, exactly. Big commercial pools aren't, aren't moving water at, at 40 or 50 gallons per minute. They're moving it much faster. So the stuff that we have, uh, unless, you know, there are some tanks out there that they have much fancier, bigger UV lights. Um, but you really, it really steps up in terms of cost and mm. in terms of what you're looking at. And it's hard to find them in the ranges we're looking for. Mm. So that's, I, I'm, I'm fingers crossed, again, somebody will start making UV lights for float tanks that handle the correct flow rate but are built like commercial UV lights mm. because those things are very helpful. So that's that's one part of it. And that's generally, you know, expected. If you're running a commercial pool, like, you're supposed to have all that stuff. You need to have the equipment that's giving you those readouts and everything. Uh, so that's that's an interesting thing to to kind of keep in mind, in terms of what is the right size UV bulb for float tanks. That is a very difficult question to answer unless you just actually want to get your float tank tested. Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's really not like, and this is this is the one of the big hurdles right now that. Uh, we're dealing with you know so the float fund i don't know if you guys remember that thing mm -hmm. but but basically people like pooling money together to to try to do research on this sort of stuff mm -hmm. that is like one of the single most difficult problems that we're trying to figure out right now is that cool. how do you kind of get generic data about uv because every manufacturer makes it slightly differently you know sometimes they have teflon tubes versus quartz tubes and the number of bulbs the length of the bulb the output it's doing mm. if it's low pressure and medium pressure like it gets way complicated and, and very far over my head and uh and you just can't like you can't really talk about it in a generic way and and in terms of measuring the output you know just just saying like hey here's like the dosage of uv that you need and if your uv meets this dosage then you're good that's also really difficult to do without testing every individual unit and as far as i can tell the only like real way people can do it is by these like bioassays where they actually put in different types of like germs and look at the kill rate and if your uv can match that kill rate then they consider it to like be meeting those standards but that again leads to every every you like if a manufacturer wants to switch uv lights they'd have to go specifically get that system tested to know that it was working well they couldn't just like take the manual and kind of look at the numbers and and plug it in necessarily sure so it kind of leads you down this path where you know uh it's it's just very hard to have generic information about it. Like you, if you really want to be sure, like you have to kind of test it yeah. specifically, or or you have to you know get into a range where the the equipment we're buying is has already been significantly tested, and you have more confidence in it. Cool. It's really hard. It's a very tricky one. Cool. Well, that's that's you know that's more inf that's yeah that's great. Uh, everything just seems to be a big <laughs> question mark, and that's that, yep. that sort of yep. makes me feel good, but. 
you know, because I'm always, <laughs> I'm always questioning everything and I'm, you know, trying to get reassurance, but reassurance that everyone's questioning things is, is right. good, you know, but right. <laughs> at yeah. least we're questioning yeah. in the and right way and moving forward in the right direction. So, yeah, but, but I, I mean, you're, you're kind of hitting the nail on the head there when, when you're th- asking these questions, because I, I think that's one of the big questions we need to answer as an industry to, you know, that's one of the things that's making it, I think, hard for people to get through their regulations with peroxide and UV. And it's just that, you know, when you say UV, like, what does that mean? Mm. Are you talking about a tiny little UV light? Or are you talking about a huge four yeah. light bulb, like crazy system? Exactly. So, yeah, yeah uh, it's something we need to figure out. Absolutely. I think about the UV bulb <laughs> that came with my Floatarium float tank, and I think that that is not quite the same giant bulb that came with my Tranquility float tank. And right. I wonder, like, well, they're both UV. Great. But <clears throat> no, I'm something's telling me there's there's a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, so as far as just in general, so so we talked over some, <clears throat> excuse me, some some float theory here and some water maintenance theory. But I guess again, like like Lance and Ashcon, you both just said, there's just so many question marks over everything at the moment. I think. Well, what I'd like to end with are like, what are the, the number one things people can do to ensure that they do have clean water? And um, I, I think we should assume hydrogen peroxide. I think, I mean, I guess we can talk about chlorine and, and bromine as well. Um, but uh, I mean, things that come to mind for me, besides talking about uh, leaving your hydrogen peroxide in the levels that Ashkan specifically mentioned, um, or at least active levels, um, is changing filters regularly um, and testing your water daily and weekly. I think probably when you first open pH and alkalinity um, daily to, to balance it out, um, but uh, weekly just to make sure everything's within range or bi-weekly, um, you know, twice a week. But uh, Ashkan, is anything else coming coming to mind as far as that goes? Um, I mean, yeah, like do, doing your research, I think really helps. Uh, it, it, you know, just getting comfortable with this stuff. I think a lot of people right. go into, and, and myself included, I definitely went into opening a float sink center, having no idea that it involved like insane water chemistry. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, getting, getting just kind of a general grip on it. Um, you know, uh, the, the CPO kind of courses that are out there that, that, uh, are definitely all about pools, but definitely give you kind of a general knowledge on pool information, I think can be useful. Um, and would, would that be useful in, in maintaining your water or like talking to your health departments? Uh, both, you know, it's, it's definitely useful in, um, and this is, I'll give a little preface for this, but it's put on by the uh, National Swimming Pool Foundation, does these certification courses. Mm-hmm. And some of the information is useful just because it really gives you an understanding of like, you know, what bacteria we're even looking out for, how filters uh, work and why they're the size that they are and, and different things like that. And it, and it gives you some history on kind of what the... Uh, what the where the regulations came from really which is which is nice when you're talking to health departments it kind of like teaches you health department speak so you can go in and, and have a much more in, informed conversation and uh, some of it is totally useless knowledge for float tank operators like there's a lot that focuses on like you know how to figure out the volume of a horse-shaped shoe pool and, and like oh, wow. cyanuric acid <laughs> which stabilizes chlorine against sunlight which we absolutely uh-huh. do not uh-huh. care uh-huh. about so that, you know it's definitely it's definitely a mixed bag there uh, but, but i I found it personally useful just to kind of up my knowledge on, on that sort of information. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, just, just being diligent, like make yourself reminders so that you are actually switching your UV bulbs out on that schedule and cleaning the tubes on that schedule and changing your filters on the schedule. It's really easy to let that stuff slip by, uh, going in and wiping down the inside walls of your float tank and ceiling is very important. Very important. And, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, it, it just realizing that this is this is a big part of running a float tank center and and kind of not uh, 
shooing it off as, as one of the minor things, but mm -hmm. dedicating yourself to it, I think is very important. Yeah, well, one of the number th one things we, we talk about um, of reviews of float centers is, or, or I guess even sometimes people don't actually report on it, but they'll like post a Yelp picture of the water and it'll be murky looking or it'll be gross uh, looking. And I feel like just if there's one thing we can do with this show or just in general uh, for float centers, just in general is to raise the bar so that water, water quality is just kept higher and that, that pictures like that don't exist. Um, and even if somebody is going into float and they're not educated on water maintenance, if they're sharing that picture, it's a picture of clean water, you know, uh -huh. the standards that we want to meet. So <laughs> um, hopefully that's one thing that we're doing with these these water maintenance episodes and, and part two here is just upping the game of taking care of your water as, as long as, uh, as well as knowledge and understanding. But um, if anything, if there's any immediate effect, I would love it to be just that our water is being cared for better or, or at a high, high bar, high level. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else anybody wants to ask or, or leave with, with the show before we close it up? Um, I, I have one more thing I actually please, wanted to please. mention, and, and this is very specifically related to uh, working with health departments. Mm. Um, and this is just feedback I've, I've gotten from health regulators, which is mostly why I want to pass it on. But uh, the word disinfection oh, has, yes. has a, a very specific meaning to health departments. Um, you know, so it's not it's not just kind of the words like sanitation and disinfection and sterilization and cleaning uh you can't just like really use those interchangeably specifically when you're talking to health department folks it's something that like they constantly tell me they're like people came in here saying the salt was going to disinfect the water and and disinfectant means mm -hmm. you know it's a it's a regulated thing they're required to have a certain type of disinfectant which usually like has is associated with a like 99.9 percent .9 kill rate of of different bacteria so uh, if you are working with your health department, just, just be careful of the actual words that you're using. Um, the salt water, you know, is not, as far as we can tell, a disinfectant. Uh, you can say things like, you know, float tank water treatment or, you know, sanitation seems to be a slightly looser tool and, and cleaning is, is a, okay. a looser tool. Sterilization is way more intense than what we're even talking about. So if you talk about sterilizing the water, you're talking about doing like surgical grade like cleaning. Um, but yeah, so uh, when, and especially when you're talking about peroxide, you know, we don't, as far as we can tell, hydrogen peroxide by itself is, in fact, not a disinfectant. It is n unable to, like, meet those standards. Okay. Um, so that's that's just something that I, I get feedback a lot on when I talk to health department folks is people saying that they were going to use peroxide as a disinfectant and that mm -hmm. that's, in fact, not true. And it's, it's just a confusion over terminology. So just know that when you're saying stuff like that to them, they're, they're kind of taking it in a way that you don't uh, exactly intend. <laughs> okay. Yeah, cool. That's, that is very valuable. That's perfect. Thank you. Amy, Lance, do you have anything else you guys want to add? Lots of valuable information. Yeah. Um, definitely learned a few things tonight. Mm -hmm. And also, I know we're our health department. The biggest issue with the hydrogen peroxide UV was they weren't so much on the hydrogen peroxide, but the UV light was a very big sticking point for them. Mm. So um, I'm looking forward to hopefully seeing some more information come out in the future. Um, because like you said, I, I've even spoken to several manufacturers and have not received a whole lot of helpful information. So uh, I know that um, my health department would appreciate more information. So I hope hope that changes in the future. Yeah, uh, yeah me too. One more thing I don't think we'll talk about today um, is I want to talk mm. about ozone a little bit. And, um, mm. and proper, like, we talk about water sanitation and filtration, but what about air quality? Mm. 
Because I know mm-hmm. if you're not cleaning out those vents, um, when I had a float tank in my house, I didn't clean out those air vents very often. And that builds up with some pretty ugly looking stuff. And if there's centers that have been due diligent and not taking care of that, um, you could have some bad air that could really affect, you know, breathing. Yeah, that so, scares me. I, um, I've, I've been talking about that um, with a few different people in the community recently, and I, I, I would love to talk about that. And one of my biggest fears is sometimes you'll see advertisements where they're like, mm, smell that ozone. Yeah, you know it's clean. And that scares <laughs> the hell out of me because we don't necessarily know what the danger is to our bodies and to our lungs when we're breathing in ozone. It's, so yeah, let's definitely you know, it's talk about one thing about in that. a pool or a spa where that's allowed to off gas, but when we're dealing in a, in a float tank environment, something that's enclosed, um, that gas is going in yeah. the tank or out your ventilation. If you don't have proper ventilation, then it's just hanging out. So, uh, affirmative. Agree. Water maintenance three <laughs> um, coming soon. <laughs> <laughs> air maintenance, air maintenance. Um, you know I do want to give a little shout out to uh, Dave Seafeld who's been helping me out with uh, building my new filtration system for my floatarium um, he built my uh, our, our infinity float tank he sold that actually uh, um, third party sold that to us but he, he was the original uh, designer of that and, and I really like his filtration system and um, so we'll be building a UV system into this filtration system which it doesn't have currently so I can um, keep you guys abreast on what's going on with cool. that as well as as we're making it and maybe even share something on Instagram or something I don't know we'll see <laughs> um, but uh, yeah cool well thanks everybody uh, Ashcon thank you so much for being Ooh. on the show and yeah it, it really really appreciate it and so looking forward to the float conference and and pretty much not seen you a whole lot at it, besides maybe a hug or two. <laughs> but uh, I know you got a lot of a lot of wheels to be spinning. Yeah, there. and and I guess the the last thing I want to say is that yeah. if I uh, people are definitely free to email me if I said something that's just egregiously mm. wrong, or if you have more information that that I did not know, I'd be very happy to hear from you. So please feel free to email me. Uh, my email is just ashcon at floathq.com. So a s h k a h n at floathq.com and. And yeah, I'm, I'm always happy to learn more information and, and definitely not trying to uh, to think that I that I know everything or what I'm saying is absolutely correct or anything like that. So always happy to hear from people. Yeah, and, uh, and I'll, as always, the same goes for me. Please correct me. Uh, I'm just blabbing yeah. some days here. I'm just blabbing. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> All right. I'm cutting you off, Lance. Uh, All right, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us this week. We'll see you next week. Float.